the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike LeCleuf. Music provided by the 48th Highlanders of Canada. Today's guest, Lieutenant General Marquis Haynes, CMM, MSC, CD, Commander of the Canadian Army. I think AET, it was probably, if I have to be frank, the mission that I was the less prepared for. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. This week, I'm not going to be covering off any messages or feedback. I'm going to get straight into the interview with our guest today. Our guest this week is Lieutenant General Marquis Haynes, CMM, MSC, CD, Commander of the Canadian Army. General Haynes took command of the Canadian Army in July of 2013 after serving in NATO's Joint Force Command in Naples, Italy as the Deputy Commander. One of the things that General Haynes was able to introduce was our new tagline for the Canadian Army, which is strong, proud, and ready. And those three words are very fitting to serving in the Canadian Army. We've also gone to a new primary badge and visual identifier, which is the three leaves superimposed on cross swords with the crown on top. This, along with a couple of other changes that have been made recently, has restored some of the more traditional heritage to the Canadian Army. For example, in recent years, we've gone from the land force to the Canadian Army. We've gone from the bars, the narrow bars and wide bars adopted from the Merchant Marine, back to pips and crowns, which are being phased in over time to denote the officer ranking system. And we've also gone from naming our formations areas to divisions. So we no longer call it Land Force Central Area. We now call it the 4th Canadian Division. These changes have been slowly phasing in since about August 2011 and have been added to our lexicon and our new identity as the Canadian Army. Something that's not new is what General Haynes' focus is for the Canadian Army, and that is the maintenance of capability. His focus is that we should remain strong, proud, and ready, but we should also be trained to do the jobs that we're required to do when we're called upon to do that, regardless of whether or not we have a high-tempo operation at the time. So the focus for the Canadian Army right now is maintaining those capabilities that have proven themselves time after time all over the world. Here's my interview with Lieutenant General Marquis Haynes. Lieutenant General Haynes, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm grateful that I have this opportunity. Sir, you and I initially met at the Canadian Army Strategic Planning Session at Connaught Ranges in September of 2013, but we were properly introduced at the Canadian Army Reserve SPS in Ottawa last weekend in February 2014. Yeah, I guess that's true. And it's, uh, I guess, when you mentioned the Connaught Range, I'm glad to see that this Connaught Range competition, which is a small arms competition, is still going ahead because this is really core business of what we need to do in the Army. And I'd like to say that since then, the command of the Army on 18th of July, I'm very proud to be the Army commander. Absolutely, sir. And something I always find reassuring from these sessions is knowing that what I believe to be important is also important to my higher level of command like you, and that gives me the confidence to take action in the areas that we both believe are important. Well, absolutely, and then it's all about 
the core competencies of what we are doing. And then if from the soldiers to the general we're not aligned on this, then we do have a problem. So we do have to make effort to make sure that we're all aligned so that we all provide effort and energy towards what really matters. And then firing skills is certainly one of this key components. Yes, sir. Sir, have you had a chance to look over the questions? I sure did, and quite interesting questions. So looking forward to give you some of my thoughts. Excellent. So let's begin with why you chose to join Les Forces Armées Canadiennes. You know, there's, I don't think I got up one morning and I uh, decided that I was going to join. I think it's what I would refer to as a, it's a bit of a, an iterative process. I think you have to go back and look where you're from, what sort of growing up that you had, and then look at the influence that you had over the years. So I would say there's probably a few factors that got me to join. Certainly, from a personal point of view, the fact that I was from, raised, born in a small town, uh, Tetford Mines, I was very happy, very beautiful area, there's no question about it. But as you get open to the world, you get eager to see and to discover the world. So I thought the forces was going to give me that opportunity. And the other, I would say, major factor that got me to join was that, and then I had to go back down in 1972. And at that time, my brother, who was two years ahead of me, older than me, actually, he joined the Air Cadets. Why the Air Cadet versus the Army Cadets or the Navy Cadet? Because this is the only cadet corps that there was in that area. Right. And I did get influenced by the fact that he joined the cadets, so I joined also a year and a half later. And that is really, I think, what made me realize or socialized me to the Army-style uh, life or the military-style life. And then... You find out a bit more about this lifestyle. We found out some program through military college. And not only that was appealing to me, but that was also very appealing to my father, who thought that was a really good idea to go get some programs so that we can get our studies looked after. So I would say in a nutshell, uh, those are probably the two major factors that made me join the Canadian Forces back in 1977. Well, doing this podcast since September of 2013, I've found that there is a trend that many successful people in the Canadian Forces have started in the cadet program. So it's interesting to hear you say that, sir. Yeah, actually, if I can advertise a bit of the program, I think it's the best kept secret. Right. Absolutely. Because that opens so many opportunities in terms of experience. And the nice thing is that people are not joining the military by joining the cadets. It's a youth program, but you are exposed to many things. Life experience, yes, military, a bit more in nature, but certainly life experience. As a matter of fact, my first airplane ride was through the cadet. <laughs> I mean, this was a significant event for me at that time. So what was the world like when you joined, sir? Well, very different than what it is now, I can tell you that. So if you go back, again, I said around 1977, well, just thinking back, the world was certainly more polarized than it is now. So what do I mean is that the, the confrontation between the East and the West through the Cold War, that was really what was happening then. At that time, not only NATO was existing, but the Warsaw Pact was also existing. And then it was clear when I joined that the Warsaw Pact uh, were the one that could be our potential adversaries. And we did train, we did develop some doctrine in order to be able to make that potential threat. So that was very different. So that was on the world stage. 
But I also like to point out when I thought back about this is that at the national level, if you remember, and then as you can guess by now, I'm a francophone. At that time, 1976-1977 time frame, the Parti Québécois took over the lead in the province of Quebec. And we know now when we look back that that led to two referendum or country. So that was a significant event that uh, what happened in our country on the national side. That led to a referendum in 1980, led to a referendum in 1994, and now the rest is history. But that was certainly the beginning of something from a, a national point of view at that particular juncture. And I don't necessarily think that people at that particular time saw what could lead the fact that the Parti Québécois took over power. Right. And uh, so, do you want me to describe the world a little bit? So that's this type of environment that we were in, certainly very different than what we are now. And what were you like when you joined, sir? Wow. What was I like? I was like very naive, young boy. I like to think that I was always focused, was not necessarily good at any sport, but I'd like to do sport, but I don't feel that I had any excessive talent to any sport. So I, I like to think of me that what I was like, I was probably a well-rounded young guy, eager to discover the world. So certainly probably was the best way to describe me at that right. particular juncture. Like I said, the fact that I had done five years as cadets, I felt that I was pretty well prepared to get into the military life. I certainly knew what I was getting into. Sir, what is your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement? You know what? It's hard to pinpoint this to one experience. So I guess there's quite a few things when I look back that got me thinking. Clearly, the first day that I show up at Collège Militaire Royal de Saint-Jean was probably a memorable point. No question about it. Then you suddenly are accepted and you're part of something that is much bigger than one person. And that's certainly the feeling that I had when I showed up in 1977. Around the same time as, again, I remember that just like it was yesterday. This is in the same week, I showed up in Saint-Jean, the same week that Elvis Presley died. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was all over the news, but quite frankly, coming in in Saint-Jean, being at the recruit phase at that particular time, we just did not have time to listen to the radio, but I was curious to understand what had just happened, but that stuck in my memory. I was just down the Fleuve Saint-Laurent from you on that same day. Were you? I, was, I wasn't <laughs> too far away. I remember that. I was traveling with my family in rural Quebec on the South Shore, and I remember that vividly. <laughs> Absolutely. And then those are the kind of memories that stick to you. Yes. And I would say the other point is when I first showed up, at the first combined arm center base to do my uh, combat arms officer training in CFB Gage Town. So that's another memorable moment because up to that point, yeah, I've seen the Canadian forces, but from a school point of view, I've been to different bases, but really felt when I showed up in Gage Town that, wow, so this is now the combat arms and this is what I wanted to be an infantry officer. So that opened certainly the door to a new environment to me. So that's another significant event and certainly very proud once I graduated, I got my commission in 1980 out of Gagetown. That's another key point for me when I think of it. Right. And throughout my career, though, I have to say, there's two things that stick to my mind and that are very memorable. Every deployment I had and every command opportunity that I had. 
So, as you know, I commanded from platoon up to brigade and even being a deputy of a division at the division of all in Afghanistan and later in Naples, also the deputy at the operational level with NATO and now commander of the army. So all of those command opportunity uh, made me grow and I enjoyed every single one of them. And the deployment, be it in Cyprus twice, Haiti once, Bosnia, Afghanistan, all those deployments made me realize how professional our soldiers were. We may realize the talent that we have amongst our troops because it's incredible when you are confined to specific areas for a long period of time. You know your people and all that talent comes out in whatever field. And I was always impressed by this and I was always well motivated by this. And I have to say, what keeps me going, this is exactly that professionalism and that talent that I see on a day-to-day basis. So again, hard for me to tell you what is the most memorable moment of experience, but I'm fortunate I feel that I had great experience in the Kenyan Army, and I also had great experience with our allies. So Afghanistan, as part of a British divisional headquarters, was great. I saw the value of other professional army, and I could measure also our own army with regards to those professional army, and I can tell you, we should not be ashamed of ourselves. We can certainly step up to the plate as much as some of our key allies can. And the other one I would say is when I went through Ranger School when I was a young lieutenant, 1983. That was another good and significant event for me. Absolutely. Sir, I haven't heard much about the operation in Haiti. Is there a memorable experience that comes to mind when you look back on your experience in Haiti? Oh, absolutely. When I look at my career, I think Haiti... Because up till that point, what we had done and were very good at was peacekeeping. Mainly, in my case, was in Cyprus. But the forces had done many peacekeeping missions. And when AAT showed up, we were switching from the peacekeeping to peacemaking because that happened in 1996, in my case. And we were involved at that time in Bosnia and Herzegovina and Croatia. But AAT was very different. It was neither a peacemaking nor a peacekeeping type of operation. It was a total disorder, a civil disorder, and you had to try to make sense out of this. It was probably, if I have to be frank, the mission that I was the less prepared for because I did not expect to be found in a situation like we were in Haiti. And from a professional point of view, it was sort of a turning point for me that the nature of conflict was changing. And when you talk about less conventional and more asymmetric, to me, that was the first perfect example of what asymmetry looked like. And then from that point on, we got involved in other missions, and Afghanistan was certainly a real true asymmetric threat. So it was a turning point for me in terms of my professional career, in terms of understanding the nature of country. Maybe we could start a new term, asymmetric chaos. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, yeah, I guess it, certainly those two terms are, are linked. There's no doubt. Absolutely, sir. Who is your greatest influence or who is the most memorable character that you've encountered? Again, I cannot pinpoint to one individual. I guess it's a series of individuals. So if I look back in my early 
early years when I made the decision to join. I guess my older brother was my greater influence because we're coming from a non-military family. So my dad was always, my parents were obviously great influence, but you follow a lot of what your older brother or the eldest of the family does. And that stayed with me because I have my own family now and I never lost sight of this. It's that yet you do pay attention to the eldest. There's no doubt. So that my brother, whether he knows it or not, certainly was an influence. And your family is obviously always influenced and I always thought that they were very supportive to what I wanted to do and there was no objection there. And I guess the other, another person that was key for me, it's a guy by the name of Brigadier General Labbé, who was my first instructor when I did my face training as an infantry officer. And why is he, first of all, he's a very competent individual and he could inspire and he could lead. And then I'm not the only one who thinks this. So I think he marked certainly all of those people that were in that particular course that he led. But he gave me a chance because at that juncture, I had left military college prematurely and I had to make a choice whether I was going to continue or not in the forces. And I decided to continue in the forces, showed up in Gagetown in January, three weeks later than the course had started. And because of, at that time, Captain Labbe knew where we were coming from, knew that I had two years and a half at military college, he gave me a chance to accept me in on the course. He personally, he personally took two weekends out of his own schedule to do some teaching so that I was brought at the same level of everybody. And had it not been for him, uh, I don't think I would have waited, to be honest, another year to go through that course, and I might not be in the military today. So that certainly was a key individual, and I certainly appreciate his professionalism and his common sense at that particular juncture. But hey, throughout the career, I met great individual. Always impressed, again, with our with our chief foreign officers, our senior NCO. So clearly, I have a special place for all the chief foreign officers I had when I was at battalion command or brigade command because I think those people made a big difference in my life and in the life of the organization that I had the pleasure to command. So in both cases, those two guys made, made a difference. Absolutely. Is there a memorable character that comes to mind, somebody who just does not leave your memory? I wouldn't say there's one character. I think it's a series of characters that comes to mind. Again, both on the senior NCO and on the officers. Certainly, if you want me to name names, Chief Officer Major is one of them, uh, clearly. And I have to say that, again, that General Labbe or Captain Labbe at that point from the officer side early in my career made a big difference. Right. But meeting Chief of State, because I had the privilege to serve with the chief of defense staff when I was a major as the aide-de-camp. And by that time, it was Admiral Anderson, followed by General de Chastelin. In that capacity, I had the chance to meet people like uh, President Clinton, Colin Powell, of course, our prime minister, Kretzian, at that time. So that's always a significant moment. There's no doubt, because you're in presence of people that have a lot of power that are making great things. So those also stick to my mind in terms of personalities that I had the opportunity to meet. Excellent. Sir, what is the greatest challenge you've had to overcome? You know, I gave great credit to my wife for my career because she has been so supportive 
And in many ways, she has given up her own career to be supportive and to raise our kids. But because of this, it was always on the back of my mind. I always tried, in terms of challenge, to keep the right balance between the professional and the family, the personal life. And it is a challenge because it is hard to achieve. Because you get caught up in your career, you get caught up in your responsibilities, and you must not forget throughout all of this that you do have some personal responsibilities also when you have a family, when you've decided you're going to raise a family, you're going to get married. And I've been fortunate that my wife has been very supportive, but I always try on the back of my mind to never lose sight of this and try to achieve as much balance as I could in all of my career. I'm not suggesting that I have succeeded totally, but just the fact that I was always cognizant of it was a challenge in itself, but certainly, uh, I think, made me, kept me grounded in all of the position I've held so far and made me probably a a better person in terms of uh, understanding the human dimension in our military. Sir, we've come to the end of the four questions. I'd like to give you an opportunity to address the Canadian Army as a whole. Is there a message you'd like to deliver to the Canadian Army? Yes, what I'd like to say is that um, I'm proud to each and every one of you. I'm proud to be your Army commander, and I know that everybody's still doing their best, and there might be a perception out there right now that since we are getting close, and it's only a matter of weeks now of post-Afghanistan, that we might have to reset ourselves with regards to what's next for the future. And I trust that with our great leaders, with our great soldiers, we will be able to continue to train, we'll be able to continue to be ready, and then to make a difference and not lose sight of the fact that we don't need necessarily to have a high tempo operation to retain those core capabilities. But it is essential that we do. We just need to reset ourselves somehow with this environment, take care of ourselves in many cases, but let's keep doing great things, and this time through training, through opportunities, in order to keep our good professionalism. And, and I trust each and every one uh, member of the Army that they will do what it takes to achieve justice, because we have a noble role, we have an important role, and we have the force of last resort, and then we cannot afford not to be ready. Excellent, sir. Is there something you'd just like to say to summarize and conclude the episode? I've had a great career so far. If I had to do it again, I will do exactly the same thing. What keeps me going is the member of the Canadian Forces as a whole. You are a true professional, and it's a privilege and an honor to serve with each and every one of you. Well, sir, we've come to the end of the episode. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be a guest on the show. Thank you very much, and it's been a pleasure. Merci beaucoup. Bonne journée. Merci. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at mikelacroixcmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit 
the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.